Cameron, you good? All good. Back in the saddle. We blew Cameron off last time. I'm sure he's he's <laughs> he's well worth his his uh, salary. Well, we were fishing, so. Oh, you know. to that? No, no, the last one when I, he was waiting for us tonight. All right, let's go. Straight to you from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Welcome to Permit to Think. Meaningful stories and conversations from the fringe of societal norms. I am your host, Mike Dawes. As a professional fisherman and host, I've spent the last 25 years traveling the far and near reaches of the world. In the beginning, the goal was untouched adventures and wild fish. But I've come to realize that the people I've met along the way and their stories have played a pivotal role in seeking what I'm truly after, a quiet mind and some time to think. This ride is too short, so I'm going to start exploring the narratives of the people that have brought me here. I've been told that audio has no rules, so it seems like a good platform for someone who grew up breaking them all. Let's go. Our guest today is Hal Hutchinson. Hal originally hails from Denver, Colorado. He headed east and attended Syracuse University and then went on to the University of Vermont where he received a Master's of Science in Historic Preservation. Hal has been involved in the world of community planning, land planning, and land conservation for the past 30 years. Hal served as the planning director of Telluride, Colorado, where he focused on protecting historic and natural qualities of Telluride while developing affordable workforce housing for residents. In 2006, Hal and his family headed north to Jackson Hole. At that time, he was reunited with his identical twin brother, Ned, a.k.a. the Kraken, who also resides in Jackson Hole, which we will explore more thoroughly today. Upon his arrival in Wyoming, Hal worked as a land planning consultant before becoming the first executive director for the Lore Foundation, a private family foundation focused on community-based land conservation. Hal is currently the president of H&H Land Strategies, where he works on land planning projects that provide both financial returns and community benefits. Additionally, Hal sits on the Teton Advisory Board at the Legacy Works Group, a group that accelerates community-driven impact. Hal and I have traveled together internationally extensively. Adventures that revolve around fishing and quests to attempt surfing. Oman, Mexico, Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, to name a few of the countries we have visited together. Throughout my years of knowing Hal, I knew what his job title was, but didn't necessarily comprehend what he did. It wasn't until I had the opportunity to work directly with Hal and additionally experience some of his work in the community that my understanding of the gravity and stewardship of his work struck me. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the work Hal does and his fortitude that seems to go hand in hand. It cannot be easy. 
Hal has an amazing ability to see the forest through the trees. He currently lives in Wilson, Wyoming, with his wonderful family, his wife, Robin, daughters, Lucy and Elliot, and his son, Finn. Without further ado, please welcome my good friend, Hal, to the show. What's up, Hal? Hey there, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. I sure do appreciate it. I'm honored to be asked. Well, that's uh, that's very kind of you. I um, I miss you as a neighbor, man. I do. I miss you as a neighbor as well. Uh, I I my son Finn uh, needed to know where you lived so he could pick up my truck today, uh, so he can go take down some uh, uh, some. <laughs> some problematic construction on forest service land. So I'm going to be switching out trucks with, with my son Finn today. Oh, so he needs to load it up. Right. And, uh, was there, was there nails involved? Was this, I don't more of a lean to, you know, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen pictures, but the forest service wants it down and, uh, yeah, they're, they're doing what they ask. So is this a, was this a, a te- I'm presuming a teenage gathering spot. That, that's completely accurate. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't put it in the intro, but I was thinking about it. It's pretty interesting. Obviously, um, you know, for, for the people listening, Hal and I are in a fantasy football league together. And now, um, you know, when, when you, we get together and just do fantasy football, it's one thing. But when you actually sit down with people and and actually take time to look at what they do. So so the third member of Goonball um, uh, on the podcast, and I'm thinking we, we go around the horn eventually. I mean, it might take, you know, 50, 50th show or 100th show. Who knows? But it's interesting to uh, to look at it in that light because we don't we don't usually do that well goonball is a big part of our existence as as friends and and in this community right yeah well i was going to ask you how would you describe i mean you're such a good wordsmith how how would you describe the goonball league i mean Uh, i would describe it simply as as the best club that i've been in involved in wow period nice yeah i like that and there was some, you know, we're gonna not gonna get into it, but there's some big, I mean, monumental changes today. I mean, stuff. Well, that, uh, we don't need to get into those. Yeah, we won't. That's 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 not that's superfluous. What what is important is that I've won the championship <laughs> once, as have you. Yep. And uh, I was described as a dead cat bounce. I don't know what that means <laughs> when I won, but uh, dead cat bounce. What a great term. But we're we're on equal footings here, even yeah. though you think you know a whole lot more about it than I do. Well, I mean, you know, that could be a result of, you know, how how who knows? Who knows? I mean, who knows? But but you know, we we digress. But the last time um, we spoke on the phone prior to this, though, I I was entering the world of COVID, and you were you were having another brush at home, or Finn was, or is that right? Yeah, Finn was. How did he? He he's a young, vibrant uh, yeah. kid, and he we made him sit in his room for five days, seven days, and uh, mm. it sucked for him. But we're we're all out. We're clean. no no lasting. See, that's what's so interesting to me. No lasting, not for the kid. 
no. no. And and his friends or that you've heard about same thing kind of. Don't know that any of his kid his friends, um, not that I know of, had the same yeah. diagnosis. But and Cameron, you you do you know anyone with lasting effects in your age group? I think I know a few kids that complain of like just depleted like energy levels for a while after and kind of I don't know if they're just displacing that to COVID, but it would make sense for a 22 year old kid to just feel tired all the time also though. Yeah. I I don't know. The reason why I'm asking is because I, um, I've been having this conversation a a lot lately because it's, uh, mine is still present. Like I can't in my chest, you know, I've tested negative now. Um, tested positive for a very long time, which was interesting, but it was everyone in the house had it. So there was no isolating, but I guess what's, what interests me is the level of depression involved in it. I mean, if I had to describe what, what I felt like, it was like, you know, chugging a, a cocktail of exhaustion, confusion, and depression, which I don't know. I don't hear anybody talking about, but, um, well, Mike, let me, let me give you a little background on my COVID history. Yeah, I would. That's that's what, part of the reason why I'm heading. Um, uh, on April seventh of twenty twenty, uh, I tested for COVID and had it. And uh, I remember this distinctly. It was it it was scary because it was right at the beginning where anxiety uh, was all time all time and i mean it was a matter of my daughter was was uh her her college had shut down everybody went home she was home i got covid and i'm sitting in my room by myself for you know at that point it was 14 days <laughs> it was my That's wife right. my wife would would give me a a plate of food on the uh, She'd leave the, it on the ground at the door wow. on the ground. Then I'd open the door and I'd grab <laughs> the food and I sat in there and I watched a lot of Netflix and it was really, really, really hard. Um, and you know, I, I was, I was so careful. I tried not to be around people, all that kind of thing, but there it is. And, uh, well, I was a month before that, but I, I couldn't get tested. I, I remember you and I talking about it and you, you got tested. I couldn't, but I don't remember. And maybe it's just not remembering from COVID. I mean, I remember being much sicker, but wildly different. And who I, knows? I didn't get tested. I, I mean, mean, my sickness was my sickness was uh, a little bit of fever and some chills, chills, really bad chills, three nights in a row, and then it was gone. But then I'm sitting in my room by myself for another 10 days. Uh, and it, you know, it was scary because it was right at the beginning and everybody was still searching for toilet paper and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and did Power it, power washing did it, UPS boxes, right? <laughs> did it, did it affect me in the long run? Um, I think, I think it did. I had a hard time concentrating. I think it was more mental than it was physical. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, it's, it, it's a scary thing. And it messed up my family in a big way too. Like my daughter, Elliot, the second daughter, had to have her call her high school graduation in 
from the car from the parking lot at the high school. Yeah, that's poor thing. Yeah, that's tough. Right, and and then went to college, where she couldn't go to class, but she still was in the dorm. And yeah. you know, it's it's been a beat down for all of us in a big way. Yeah, I guess Whether I'm just surprised that I mean. One of the best examples I've gotten, and and again, it's fresh in my mind now because right, the whole family, let alone we don't even know if one of us had it twice in three weeks, um, and maybe that's because we weren't isolating because everyone had it. I don't know, but someone explained it like COVID is like you're dying of thirst, and there's a bottle of water two feet away from you, and it's. You, you really have to have a talk with yourself whether or not it's worth grabbing. <laughs> it's, it's worth grabbing the water. I think. <laughs> Just take the effort, right? Yeah. Dig deep. But it's, uh, it's strange. And, and I, like I said, it's, um, I don't know, it's fresh in my mind because I tried to go on a mountain bike ride the other day and I thought my lungs were going to explode. Um, and I did, I was sick for a day. So, you know, then you, Whatever. I don't I don't want to go. Let's let's put COVID behind us. Yeah. And let's let's hope that none of us ever get it again. Yeah. That would be um that would be ideal. Um well in thinking about your story, it's um we have a lot a lot to talk about because you know let's let's go to how you chose um historic preservation at the University of Vermont. Can you, so from Syracuse directly to UVM, or there was a couple of years in between there? There were, there, <clears throat> there were a couple of years in between there. Uh, I went to Syracuse for architecture and I got a degree in English and architecture. And, uh, and I loved architecture, but I was really just disappointed in in the whole concept of being an architect building boxes and cities and such and loved the built environment loved the way that that spaces in cities uh are are framed by buildings and the way buildings are inspirational edifices for you know, people to, to interact with their, their environment. And I went away, uh, from college, bit disenchanted and went ski bumming with my twin brother, Ned, who I hadn't seen for a couple of years. Uh, he was living in China and studying Chinese. And we decided we're just going to ski bum in Jackson for a couple of years. And we did that. And it was awesome and my mm-hmm. brain started to melt <laughs> and uh and after that i i decided i was going to go to graduate school for preserving old buildings basically uh went to the university of vermont for uh, a master's in historic preservation and it, it was a it was a real eye-opener uh learned a lot about beautiful things about uh building and the historic building systems, the way historic buildings were built and how to preserve them, how to conserve them. But I also learned a lot about how buildings um, form the framework of communities and small communities and large, and uh, how 
the built environment, it creates a framework for a community, be it good or bad. Uh, there's this, obviously anybody who's listening would know who knows about architecture and, and community planning knows about the north end of Boston and how uh, Jane Jacobs, an author who wrote a book called The Life and Death of Great American Cities, Good or book. excuse me, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. Um, Good book. Great book. Um, fairly academic, mm-hmm. but um, wrote about how the built environment creates communities and how suburbia and uh, the suburban dream after World War II uh, created the antithesis of community. And that got me, you know, so, so the, the graduate program that I was in had a lot to do with building systems and the technolo- technology of, of historic building systems, but also land planning and how uh, historic, the historic development of, of towns and cities uh, created or, or eroded community. And so that got me really interested in, in that kind of um, thinking and, and that kind of work. And, and I've followed that for my career. But growing up in Denver, I mean, the how were you exposed to the your attraction of you know, historical buildings? Was it was it some of the stuff you saw or through your studies or because you know, when when most people think of Denver, especially at that time, right? It's pretty it was pretty small and pretty new. I did grow up in Denver. I grew up in the suburbs when I was young. Mm-hmm. And then I grew up, uh, then I grew up going to high school in the inner city and the inner city has these beautiful little neighborhoods, uh, Washington park, yeah, lived Bonnie there. Bray. Um, there are these beautiful neighborhoods that were built in the 1920s, uh, arts and crafts style houses, bungalows, beautiful stuff. Yeah. And it was really stark, uh, when I moved from the suburbs where I was young to the inner city when I was in high school, it was a really stark contrast between neighborhoods. Mm. You, got, you got to know all your friends, not because they were um, in your high school, but because they lived within walking distance or biking distance or a small drive from one another, even though we went to different high schools Hmm. and we got to be buddies, not because we lived next door to each other or we lived in the same, you know, subdivision. We got to be buddies because we, we played lacrosse against each other. We played sports against each other and um, we lived fairly close to each other and we, we clicked that way. And that, that, that small, um, sort of condensed uh, development pattern allowed that to happen. Hmm. So you, it was, I mean, there was exposure there. And now thinking about those neighborhoods, because I know those neighborhoods, I've lived in actually both of the ones you've mentioned. Um, so you, you had a pretty, you had an experience, a contrast, if you will, of living in a newer one compared to a historical type Absolutely, and going to going to college um, at Syracuse, 
Syracuse didn't give me that experience, but going to towns like Newport, Rhode Island and, and, and various East coast uh, communities, you see these development patterns where it's not a matter of the community being poor or rich, affluent or, uh, and it's and it's not a matter of of what the racial differences is are, but it's a matter of people live in close enough proximity to each other that they get to know their neighbors and they get to know what uh, their neighbors are doing and and uh, and they provide they protect each other they 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 look out for each other and and you know it's just a matter of it being a community and then. So architecture, Syracuse, and then bumming around here for a couple of years skiing and then back to University of Vermont. And that's did that that's when you knew the focus was gonna go into kind of the historical preservation, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> it it it's a pretty funny thing to be have a master's in historic preservation. Well, that's what sh- that's why I'm asking because it shocked me when I that a that I didn't know it, b um, I've never heard of that before. I mean, uh, uh, it's pretty specific. Right. I could tell you more than you ever want to know <laughs> about um, mortar in historic buildings, hmm. um, lime mortar versus Portland cement. I could tell you more than you ever want to know, um, but I. I, and, and that was great. And I went to Denver after that. I, I spent a, a little bit of time in Telluride, which, or excuse me, in Nantucket, which was super fun, but that wasn't, that was more of an internship than anything after, uh, graduating from UVM. But then I went to Denver and, and I worked for the Colorado historical society. There's a great program in Colorado. Hmm. It's super cool. Uh, they uh, allowed low stakes gambling in some of the old mining towns in Colorado, Central City, Blackhawk, Cripple Creek. So those those towns that had low stakes gambling, what they did was they said half of, or 25 percent of the uh, tax revenue from all the low stakes gambling goes to historic preservation because basically the low stakes gambling casinos obliterated those the historic integrity of those towns. Um, and they took that 25%, which translated it in my time working there to $30 million a year to, uh, grant to communities throughout Colorado, uh, to restore buildings and restore community infrastructure, et cetera, that were in historic communities in Colorado. And there's a lot of them. Uh, and that was really, that was really fun. Uh, I worked for the Colorado Historic Society for about five years. I bought a house on Wash Park. Hmm. It was a 1923 bungalow that what, was, what street? It was on Downing street that hmm. was right on the park. 1923 bungalow. That was an example in a, in a couple of historic books about, uh, Colorado hmm. and about Denver. Um, or lived on high street. High Street is that's a, that's a good street. Yeah, uh, perpendicular to Downing. Yeah, uh, lived right on the park. It was great. It's a great park. Uh, my wife and I bought it together right 
we got <laughs> she wouldn't move in with me until we got married. So good for her. Old school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I worked around the state. It was great. Hmm. Uh, I'd go to from community to community to community, working on with people who had applied for grants and working with them to how to use that money. And one of the great, I've got a great story for you about it. Love it. Um, my family's from Colorado. It's six generations. Your family is six generations. Yeah. My mother is from Rocky Ford, which is on the Eastern Plains on the Arkansas River. My father's from Del Norte, which is in the San Luis Valley, South Central Colorado. And uh, I knew my great grandmother. She was 104 when she died. Wow. Uh, was was really, really tight with my, my grandmother, Rini who would always make us bonds, Reen's bonds, <laughs> and uh, knew, knew a lot of people in this town of Del Norte, which is near Wolf Creek Pass and uh, great uh, area. the whole San Luis Valley area. And we, uh, I, I was on the uh, uh, voting committee to see who gets uh, grants. And a group of people from Del Norte applied for a grant to restore an old hotel in Del Norte. And we gave him a grant to mothball it a couple hundred grand just to mothball the building. And then a a million dollars or more to help restore it. And and when I went down there, because I'd travel around the state to, to follow up on all these grants, I went down there and of course I saw my grandmother and she's like, great to see you here. This is super. And then this lady walks up to me. And she's got a hair growing out of her, her chin. It's about an inch long. She's older than my grandmother, right? And she walks up and she says, Hal, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a Koval. And, and it's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for this. And she hands me a, a, a newspaper clipping. And it was of my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather getting married in the hotel. No way. That we were restoring. That is awesome. It was pretty cool. And it sounds like that scenario where you're traveling around Colorado giving money away um, to to restore and protect, I'm presuming, historical buildings wouldn't be that controversial. Not at all. Yeah. So you were kind of like Santa Claus, right? But we had to toe the line, right? You had to... Make sure they did it in the right way. It wasn't just a free for all. They had to actually restore buildings instead of just you know put up new buildings or or whatever. You've got to you've got to adhere to some pretty stringent standards. Yeah, because when I was, but it wasn't political. Yeah, and 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 we don't. Well, we can go there. We can go anywhere. But when I was writing your introduction yesterday, I was thinking to myself. You know, did Hal know, is, is all of land planning controversial? I mean, is it is it akin to water rights stuff or is it, because um, it sounds like that experience was probably mostly um, positive, Santa Claus-esque. I mean, uh, presuming people follow, like you said, the rules. But I can't imagine that um, 
it's all just you know going going around it, it's got to be hard is what i'm saying it's it's definitely land planning is definitely not all um unicorns and rainbow <laughs> and so my question is did you when did you know that um uh, i can i can say that i knew that when i left the colorado historical society and i went to telluride and became the town planner uh going to be the town planner uh in telluride was awesome for me that's where i had all three of my kids it's a magical place it's a it, i've some of the best friends in my life um that are that i met in in telluride but um there's 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 conflict when you're a town planner mm -hmm. uh people want shit excuse me no you're good people want a bunch of shit that yeah. they can that 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 improves their property and you don't you can't have it all um there's one example that really really pissed me off that uh uh in Telluride. In Telluride, which is, it's a bit of a conundrum, right? It's a, it's a national historic landmark district. It's had, it's had design review for historic buildings um, since I think the seventies. And uh, this one guy bought this, this old church and he wanted to put up a, the steeple that used to be there. But one, a few of the neighbors, uh, that steeple would have uh, obscured their view of the peaks around Telluride. And I was all for it at being a historic preservationist. Uh, but the, the town council denied the request to restore an old steeple because a few of the people couldn't see the, the peaks yeah. from their decks. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, well, what are we about here, right? Are we about preserving or restoring a, the historic integrity of a community? Or are we about views for a bunch of people who have some political sway? It, that, that's an example. Sure. And that's a good example, though. I mean, right? Because you can't win. You can't win. Yeah. So that's i mean that's that's why i wrote fortitude, fortitude in your introduction because it seems like and and i by no i mean i follow the papers you know i and you come up here and there and and i i think about it in that sense it's got to be a little tough if you're going into something knowing ha half or a percentage of the people are still going to be pissed off uh, it, it is tough, and I am by nature genuinely a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. Um, I I don't like to argue. I don't want to. I I don't like conflict. Um, but that's what my that's what my my job and my career kind of leads me into in a lot of ways, and it's really hard. But uh, I do work on projects that I believe in, and uh. If they don't go my way, then that's 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 the way the dice roll. Yeah. But I can genuinely say that the projects that I work on are ones that um, I believe in and are doing the best type of of uh, change to the community that that I can 
that I can guide. And Telluride, I mean, I've spent the little time that I've spent there. It's, I mean, maybe it is par- partly due to the geography, right? The Box Canyon type setting, but it does, it does seem pretty historical, um, you know, driving down the main street. But again, that could be because the, the ability to sprawl is sprawl is contained, if you will. That's what makes it so special. Yeah, Mike. Um, it's it, it, it is in a box canyon. There's only 400 acres in the whole town. Uh, on either side of the town, there's there was open land uh, to the to the south uphill, uh, and that got developed, but that got developed in a in a pretty uh, sensitive way to the environment. Mm-hmm. And then to the north, uh, downstream, uh, it got preserved. And that was a, that was a really, uh, contentious thing in, in Telluride when I was there, what is the Valley floor? What's it going to look like? And the community voted to buy out the Valley floor and, and put it in to conservation and that was absolutely one of the great things that I think uh, any community in Colorado voted to do hmm. because it kept the community condensed, it kept it walkable, and and it kept it so that the natural environment was uh, allowed to be the surrounding environment of the, the built environment. Sure. And so in 2006, you head north. Okay, so Cameron just pulled it up. So you're talking about the... the all that open space um, to the left of the screen is, was, that was all owned by a guy who owns um, uh, nuclear power plants. And oh, wow. He was just going to develop it all. And the community voted to condemn it. It was a big deal. It sounds like a big deal. And that's, I remember that driving in because you're just looking at land in the river, which is pretty cool. Um, that's, that's very cool. And so what, why, why, why the departure from Telluride? Was it, was it a, a geographical thing? I was fishing. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was no, it was it was more than fishing, but fishing played a role. I'm sure. Uh, the fishing down there is fun. Freestone rivers. Yeah. Uh limited amount of fishing. And uh the skiing's great, limited amount of snow. Mm-hmm. The community is absolutely awesome. Uh but limited amount of of professional uh growth. Sure. So uh, spent some time here with my twin brother, Ned, and decided after six years in Telluride that me and my wife and three young kids, one of whom was a month old, wow, we were going to move up to, to Jackson Hall and live neck around the corner from my twin brother and get some better fishing, some better skiing, and some better professional opportunities. Have you been in that same house the whole time? Yes. Wow, that's cool. Um, and so when you 
compare the two, um, I mean, again, in thinking about it, because I can't even fathom some of the the town planning and stuff you have to deal with. I I have to presume that having two national parks north of you and a very limited amount of developable land, not necessarily geographically bound like a box canyon, um, but those two things have to add some sort of additional challenges uh, to it, it it's it's jackson is like telluride on store steroids okay right yeah so telluride is is geographically bound but jackson is is bound because it's such a huge valley it's bound by property ownership the the national parks mm-hmm. thank goodness and right? the forest service right I mean, and the forest service yeah. um but it's much bigger uh, canvas to work with, sure. if you will, as a land planner, mm-hmm. right? Um, so ninety-three percent of Teton County is is owned by the federal government, uh, and and so that hems you in, just like in Telluride. What hems you in is the geography. It's this steep mountain valley. Uh, so there's there's thank goodness not a lot to play with in terms of uh land planning and how land is used because the federal government owns so much of it um but so much of the private land is very uh impactful and there's not a lot of infrastructure what do we have what do we have three roads in the whole community yeah and that's um that's another thing i was going to ask you about i mean it's 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 really really difficult yeah it's something you inherit um i'm not you know i'm not some some king who says build here or build there but the projects that i work on it's it's a matter of okay how can we how can we work with this in the best way we can we've inherited a situation where you have three acre lots up and down the village road that's not uh, an efficient use of land, um, but that's something that was allowed back in the 60s and 70s, and, and it's something you inherit, and you try to make the most of it, and that's what, that's what land planning is, for better or for worse. It has, have you ever run into any other situations? And, and again, like in a prior podcast, I was saying, you know, all things are relative, right? I mean, our, our traffic issues are, you know, usually a a product of how it used to be right i mean at, but at the same time you know a couple of times recently i'm not you know i'm not necessarily getting road rage maybe by some of the drivers but but you know you can't help but think about it right like no you can't win because if you cut a road in somewhere i mean it's but do you have has there been any examples of that you know about of of a you know town smaller size where they they fixed a you know infrastructure situation like that we're kind of facing here if it continues to <laughs> see the amount of I don't okay I I I I think that um, growth is 
the direct result of growth is traffic issues. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I believe as a land planner that you can't build yourself out of it. (laughs) Um, you can't build wider roads and, and that'll solve the problem. Uh, there's, there's a great example of, of man up in, uh, you know, the state of man, they built a highway for the 4th of July, Mm -hmm. uh, four lane highway going up to man. And the four lane highway is empty for 360 days a year. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, so you can't build it. You you, can't build it for Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you deal with it, you deal with the ramifications. And one of the things that, that I think is really important is you find alternatives. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I moved here, uh, when I was ski bumming back in the day, it wasn't an issue. Sure. Right. Traffic was no issue. Um, but when I moved here, it was, it was like, okay, more people are here and there's more traffic. And this is 18 years ago. Um, we need a, we need a pathway Mm -hmm. directly from town all the way to the village. Mm -hmm. And we need a bridge Mm -hmm. for a pathway. And, and that can alleviate the traffic. And I ride my electric bike to and from town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I think it, it makes a big difference. Uh, maybe not now, but it will in the future. Yeah. Uh, it makes a big difference for me because I'll be, I'll be passing a car and I'll peg that car. I'm like, oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a blue... <laughs> that's a blue truck with, with a, with a lumber rack on it. Um, I'm going to ride back to my house. And when I get to the, to the pathway bridge over the snake, I stop, you know, take a look, you know, and look for the, for the car that I pegged and I don't see it for a while. <laughs> uh, so I keep on going home. So I beat them. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to get stuck on that, but it's, it's interesting to me because I don't, you know, it's again, it's another situation where I don't, I don't know what the answer would be. I mean, you, you hear different things, but, but let's, let's move on. You, you mentioned the, you know, crossing, crossing the river, um, on a bridge on your bike. And, um, when I was texting you about this show, I was asking you, you know, think about some of the, you know, the things that you're most proud of. And I was presuming that, you know, for the listeners, there's a, there's a, a rendezvous park, right. Um, where highway 22 crosses over the snake river that, that you might want to fill us in, but you, you had a big hand in, uh, and, and locally referred to as our park. And I can't tell you how the other day I was having a meeting with someone and they're like, man, I went, I just, I just went to, uh, this art park for the first time. And, it was amazing. And, um, yeah, I love, I I love our park. Our park is at the, um, intersection of the Moose Wilson road or the village road and 22. Um, it's right on the snake river there. It had been a, uh, a a gravel pit for, Hmm. I don't know, 30 years. And, you know, gravel pits are great to help fuel, development and mm-hmm. uh and build roads 
but gravel pits aren't great right on on the side of the river where it's easy easily accessible to all of the community uh and there was a developer that was going to build three houses on 50 or so acres of land and at the time i was working for a family foundation that was doing uh Community land conservation, a, a program that I had. That's the Laura Foundation. That's right? the Laura Foundation, a program that I had, had uh, tried to craft as the executive director, and and this was this was a really good uh, example of community conservation. So, community conservation being land conservation that benefits not only people but also wildlife, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and this, this was a project where we bought the land from the developer, uh, restored. The, the ponds were there. They were, they were just gravel pit ponds. Um, we restored a lot of the habitat, put, a, put in a lot of, of uh, wetlands. Uh, and, and at the time, which is, which is one of the coolest parts of it, at the time, the, the county had decided to put uh, the pathway, which was planned, to go from town over to the West Bank. They had decided to put the pathway uh, right next, or basically cantilever off of the highway road. Mm-hmm. And, and that, was, that was approved and, and funded. And we had bought the property, and I said, I went into the county commissioners and I said, here's what, here's what we should do. We should build a separate bridge and land it on the land that we just bought. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's have that flow through, have the pathway be fully separated from the highway bridge and land on our park. And then people can choose to go into our park or not and keep on going. Um, but I think it's one of the great uh, components of transportation and recreation in the community that's happened in the last, I don't know, since yeah. since we're forever. Yeah, you should be proud of it. I am. Yeah, I mean, it's um, not only do I use it, you know, I actually probably use it more in the winter, which is interesting, you know, sledding. Right. Kids. Um, well, that's an interesting part of our park, right? Um, it, all of the Jackson Hole Valley is super flat, so there's no, no sledding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our park, well, it was a gravel pit. And gravel pits, they have, they have ponds and they have mounds. <laughs> yeah, they have gravel mounds. Right? And uh, we chose, instead of, instead of just restoring the whole thing to a natural state, let's keep some of those mounds. And let's use them for for recreation and amenities. And sledding out there is the best in the valley, for sure. Yeah, and it's um, and then again, being relatively new, right? Spending a lot of t- a lot of my time out here in Idaho, um, or when I was in Wilson, right? I was still going that direction. So being down here now and trying to get to our old neighborhood, or get into town to be able to utilize all the pathways it's pretty cool i mean it makes it makes you think that 
like you said, possibly some more pathways could uh, could benefit. Or or the the increased use of pathways could take some pressure off of the problem of the transportation infrastructure in the community, which is inherent to just the the history of the place. What's what's one of the hardest? That's that's obviously one of the. I mean that it, like we just talked about that. It's remarkable, and a lot of people, anybody who goes there for the first time is like, "Wow, didn't know this was here." Now I will be back. Um, what's one of the harder situations you find yourself in the land planning, whether it be in Colorado or here, or I mean, there has to have been some. Oh, there's there's a lot of very. Um, <laughs> Very contentious uh, issues that we that that I face in 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 my job as a planning consultant. Um, you know, affordable housing is a big issue. Mm. Obviously, hot hot potato, hot potato, hot potato. Uh, and I've been involved in a couple of projects recently where I've I've been advocating for converting a assisted living facility into housing and trying to rezone also a fairly substantial parcel that the hospital owns um, to rezone it so that they can have the density that the hospital needs for housing. And uh, yeah, it's it, housing's, a, housing's a tough deal. Um, you get, <laughs> It goes hand in hand with transportation, right? Sure. Everybody who can't afford a house here lives over the hill in Idaho or down the canyon. And so that exacerbates the traffic issue. But how much development is the community willing to to accept to provide housing for people? And these are big, hairy issues that I can't answer. Nobody really can, mm -hmm. um, but I can help provide some sort of um, solutions on small scales that, that make a difference in small little ways. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, how do you navigate that though? I mean, it's, you just, you just do the best you can, I guess. I mean, you get yelled at by a bunch of people. <laughs> um and people you know, people are your friends who yeah. do, who disagree with you, um, and you 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 navigate the fact that they don't want their community to change, but mm -hmm. change is inevitable, and uh, that's what I think is the most important thing about land planning is uh, change is inevitable. You better plan for it well. Yeah, it's a good if you point. don't, it's going to be worse than if you do. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's interesting to me, as, as I said, spending a lot of time over the Tetons. So we're talking about basically west of Jackson, over into Victor Driggs, Teton Valley, Idaho, where that could end up being one town all the way to Tetonia. Um, except for Teton Creek. Yeah. Well, that's another one that you had a hand in, right? Um, yeah, I, it, you, you asked about projects I was, uh, proud of and, 
and working with the Laura Foundation, one of the great things that we accomplished was uh, to get various nonprofits in Teton Valley, Idaho, on the other side of the Tetons from Jackson Hall, to work together, to mm-hmm. look for projects that they could all work together for instead of fighting for for donation dollars for just their own uh vision and their own goals and what what we did was we said okay there are five big nonprofits in teton valley idaho there's the land conservation group there's a river restoration group there's a there's a pathways group and there's a few others and um get together and tell us what the best project that would overlap all of your goals are Mm-hmm. And they all came together and said, we think the Teton Creek corridor is one of the most important parts of Teton Valley, Idaho. And we said, okay, well, here's, here's a bunch of money. Um, now you get to use this money if you tell us how it all, all overlap, how a project will overlap all of your goals. Mm-hmm. And we put together the Teton Creek corridor project, which is everything from pathways along the creek and rewatering the creek and conservation easements along the creek and and wildlife corridor protection along the creek and it, it's it's worked out wonderfully and it spiraled upward so that these nonprofits not only do they work together on Teton Creek corridor but they work together on other projects as well yeah so so it's it's more of it's it's a great example of uh a really good land conservation and public access uh, and and uh, wildlife corridor benefits, but it's also a great example of community uh, engagement and 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 communities getting or various interests getting together to look at what they need to do in the whole valley together to work. Um, to benefit everybody, to lift all boats. Yeah, and I was I was with on the board of the Friends of the Teton River at that time, and remember thinking how cool it was that, in a way, you guys set it up so that all right, well, here's I mean, right here's the pot of money. Right. <laughs> now, what are we going to do with now, it? Now we all need to work together. Yep. To make this work, and it did. And, and, and I give a lot of credit to, uh, to the people that, that helped put it together. Um, Carl Palmer from Legacy Works Group, <clears throat> which you uh, included in the introduction. Uh, they did the lion's share of the work. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I was, I was the, um, the person who, who challenged them. Yep. And, and they ra- rose to the challenge. But and it's a cool example of, I mean, something to be replicated elsewhere. I, mean, I absolutely. I mean, because it, the, as someone that would that you know for a living would give away a lot, you know, not necessarily sometimes dollars, but you know, I mean, if if you benefit from natural resources, you better give back, right? I mean, so, but at times, in coming from that seat, it's overwhelming. It's like you're getting hit by every 
you know, every angle. And then you start thinking, well, how, how many are there? Right. Because, right. you know, it seems like we, um, you know, a testament to the entire area that there's a lot, that many people committed to preservation, but at the same time from that seat at times it gets confusing. So I do remember distinctly remember, you know, thinking, huh, this is kind of cool. It takes the responsibility um, of people working together. Well, that that was the that was the goal. And when you're in when you're in grant making, um, you have you have so many things coming at you, and they're all great. Everybody wants a little money for this and a little money for that. Um, but you have to be you you can't be select you you have to be selective. But you also also has have to be proactive and say, okay, um, we're not going to just give to every good uh, need out there, but we're going to create a program that that lifts all boats, as I said, instead mm-hmm. of just one at a time. And the Teton Creek, that was a pathway as well, right? Part of it? Yeah, the pathway is now open. And the pathway goes from Driggs all the way up to the... To the Forest Service. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And was um, there was also the re, the boat ramp. There was a boat ramp involved in that in well, as well, right? Uh, it might have been separate. But. That was separate, but um, a little bit in, involved. Um but, almost spawned from the but it gets deeper than that right i mean it it it, it there's there's the um the underground efforts if you will mm-hmm. uh working with landowners mm-hmm. to irrigate their land in a way that's that's more beneficial to the creek mm-hmm. uh so that the water recharges in the groundwater recharges as opposed to just flood irrigating at the wrong time of the year. So those are those are nuances and details that I'm not completely familiar with. I'm not a water rights lawyer, <laughs> nor am I a, a water recharge engineer, right? But but that engaged a lot of people and a lot of landowners to help try because Teton Creek dries out in the summer, right? Yeah. And no, maybe it's... in the long run it won't because because the funding is there and continues to be there to help work with landowners to put water back in the creek at the right time. Hmm. And is there more, is that, is the Teton Creek corridor project completed or is there more? There'll always be more to do. Okay. Um, and, and I hope that, that the, uh, the spark that I set uh, in the funding of that project will continue to allow those organizations to continue to work together and find funding that will continue to achieve all of their goals together. Yeah, that's great. It, it seems like there's a lot, you know, and I, I've, I've when, when we were able to work together briefly, like it seems like, how do you keep, my question is, how do you keep on top? I mean, it has to be a ton of research. 
in the sense of like county, um, nonprofit, uh, all of it. A lot of connections, a lot of, lot of discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, these things don't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like, it's just like building a huge building in downtown Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, takes 10 years to build the thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's no different with all of these things. Uh, they, they continue to evolve and they, you, you work toward an overall goal of achieving certain things and boy, it takes a lot of perseverance. Yeah. And that, um, I guess there's something, you know, there's something in there, right? Because like I said, the forest, the forest through the trees, because you're not necessarily ensured that they're going to pan out always. Right. You're not. Um, and, and I don't know, it's, this isn't all that I work on. I I do the evil stuff too. Maybe you (laughs) want to edit this part. out. No, not at all. But I, I, you know, I, the housing projects could be conceived to be evil, right? Well, again, it goes back to what we're saying. I mean, you, you're not going to win, right? I mean, you have, I noticed this at the 4th of July parade. I couldn't, it was really actually very interesting. Um, the different floats coming through and people screaming, you know, build more houses at certain groups. And I was like, wow, like, you know, how do you win in this situation? And, and then there's the Save Flat Creek group. Exactly. Right. And how do those fit together? Yeah. Uh, and, and they, they can in some ways and they can't in others. And this, it's a complex puzzle that you're going to have to have give and take. And you're, there's going to be some negatives and there's going to be some positives. Um, you build a housing project that it might impact the neighbors, but do the neighbors have access to healthcare? Sure. So, and it's on, it's, it's like a three-dimensional chessboard. (laughs) It's a great way of describing it. That's, um, well, I have a ton of respect for it. I, I, um, it seems very grand to me. Um, but you're, you're doing a hell of a job. Well, I appreciate your, your saying it's grand. All it is, 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 um, packing away all the time. Well, it's grand in the sense that it could be conceived evil to, right? At any time, a portion of the people in a project that could be proposed could be perceived as evil. Sure. Right? I mean, that's a, that's a very big, I don't know. That, that's, uh, like you said, it takes a lot of perseverance. I mean, <laughs> he's running out. He's running out of the... Of the perseverance right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I have no more perseverance. But it's well, a lot of talking about me. Well, all right. Well, let's 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 talk about um, let's make a little transition then because another thing that has been a great um, I chuckle about it every once in a while are some of the stories that I've been privy to about being an identical twin. Um. And I imagine, uh, because I will say when I first met, um, you and your brother, there was a brief time and it could have been where you knew Ned and not me. True. But I was amazed in the beginning and, and things 
now have changed that at times I, uh, you know, I couldn't tell the difference. I mean, (laughs) so. But you can now. Oh, easy. (laughs) It's simple now. But um, I imagine that you, you know, you run into some folks. I've heard some funny grocery story. Right. The the guy, I'm looking at the the horrible produce at Hungry Jack's and and some guy walks up behind me and gives me a titty twister and I turn around <laughs> and go to punch him in the face and I'm like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and the guy's like, oh my God, you're not Ned. <laughs> sure. Or the one where Harry TB is, is driving down the, I'm walking down the, the sidewalk in front of town, town hall in Jackson uh, talking to Ned on the phone, and you are talking to Ned. I'm talking to Ned on the on the cell phone, and uh, Harry TB drives up in his big truck over the curb, rolls down his 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 passenger window, and does the you know <laughs> the the blow me. <laughs> signal in his mouth and i look at the guy as i'm talking to ned and i'm like uh i think this guy wants to talk to you ned and i hand harry the phone and harry's like uh 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 i don't know hysterical that 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 story was deserves a little bit of uh visual but yeah but it's a you you get i think people people might get it you get the point. There's there's good stories because uh, I work in a different world than Ned works in. Yeah. So I know a lot of different people that that Ned doesn't know. And periodically, you know, every every month or so, Ned will call me up or I'll call Ned and go, "Hey, I uh, I talked to a guy today, and uh, he doesn't know you real well, and he thought I was you, and I didn't correct him." <laughs> So, you just went with it. <laughs> just you. Sometimes you just got to go with it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's and so questions on this front. So, I mean, identical twin is a very interesting topic. So, did you guys look? Would you say you looked more like growing up, or now? Growing up, for sure. Like uh, it got, it was even harder. Well, yeah. Ned went to boarding school, and I stayed in Denver, and. uh I went to Ned's boarding school. Uh, I actually got um, guided in by a friend of Ned's in, into Ned's classroom. The guy said, Ned, stay in the library. <laughs> and he saw me show up at the boarding school and he's like, you c- come with me. We're going into the, the class. And we sat down in the classroom. It's around a you know dining room table. There's 12 kids and a professor. And uh, <laughs> I sat down. Nobody batted an eye. Really? Yeah. I put I, I, the guy gave me Ned's report, and I put it in the middle of the table. And we sat down and we talked for about 15, 20 minutes about American history. And then, then Ned walks in the room, goes, sorry, I'm late. And the teacher was not happy at all. Really? Uh, but everybody was just, all the, all the, all Ned's friends just looked around confused. Yeah. You know? So we looked a lot alike growing up. Um, no, we didn't have sex with either of our, <laughs> um, girlfriends. Uh, 
accidentally. That didn't happen. Everybody asked that question. What's the, um, what, what would be the fun? I mean, that one about Harry is pretty good, but um, how, how often, I mean, you said monthly, I mean, still, still, still yeah, monthly, it happens all the time where someone, someone thinks they're talking to one of you that they're not. It happens all the time. That's amazing. It's great fun. And was there any, <laughs> did what, up until what year did you guys go to the same school growing up? We we went to separate schools after our freshman yeah, freshman year in high school. Because we didn't we didn't have our own identities. Huh. Right? We were the twins. Yeah. We were the twins on the soccer team. We were the twins in the swimming pool. We were, you know, it, it, we were the twins. And and so Ned uh and I both but probably Ned more than anything else was like, I got to get away from this guy. <laughs> uh, I got to be my own person. Which is pretty interesting to think about because now you live around the corner from each other. Exactly. If we hadn't left our own shadows mm-hmm. when we were younger and he goes off to boarding school and, and, and I stay in Denver, if we hadn't done that and we had stayed twins through high school we probably wouldn't live anywhere near each other yeah what i wonder what cameron what percentage of um well let's guess what 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 do you think the percentage of identical twins like to to babies born yeah it's got to be like one percent it's got to be well and also um, but 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 then there's there's same sex there's 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 what I don't know what they call them non-identical twins. I mean, identical twins are one sperm goes to one egg and then the egg separates. So we have the same DNA. Really? Um, same DNA, same DNA. Wow. Uh, but, but there's, there's twins that are pretty common nowadays because of fertility drugs and all of that. But, uh, there's a lot of twins out there, but we're identical. So Cameron, what do we, what do we have? Four per every thousand births. Wow. I don't know if that means sets or like that's two sets of twins though. What's the percentage of that? That's it's 4% or it's no. less than that. Point. Point 0.4%. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently my grandmothers were identical twins that was my next question so it is a it is kind of in the family it's an inherited thing wow and that's such an interesting concept because you guys are i mean you guys have uniquely different personalities but you guys are super tight still oh yeah and you you think oh he annoys the shit out of me at times (laughs) and and i him but we are super tight. Yeah, which is which I it's very cool having lived within, you know, a stone's throw from both of you seeing the families interact um and keeping that alive and and it's interesting to think about if you had stayed together longer that that might not exist. I think I I think that there's a we'll we'll bring this back to fishing. Yeah, here we go. Um, Ned and I grew up fishing together, and that was one of the great things that we did together. 
uh, that and skiing, mm-hmm. right? We just loved skiing together and fishing together. And otherwise it was, you know, there was, there was fights in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> who's gonna, who's gonna take over the, the, the hot water. Um, but yeah, all our kids are very different, but they have one thing in common. They don't want to go fishing. Huh? I don't understand it. That's interesting. Do you think that's a result of pushing it hard? I know Ned did because he he and I have talked about that before. Because I have done that and uh, <laughs> didn't work. I don't I don't know what it is. I, I it's just a I think it's just an anecdote that boy, our kids aren't as interested in fishing. None of them, not one. But I would I would uh, well I'll, I'll bet right now that at some point that comes full circle. I'll bet it does. Yeah. Because I do think that I was just having this conversation. Um, someone, Dave Perkins was saying, my father used to say, exposure to the outdoors will eventually lead back, could eventually lead back to fishing. And I think, uh, well, I'm hopeful, right, that that's the case. I mean, it's no different than, um, right, pushing one sport too hard. Well, well, Mike, you were kind enough to sell me and Ned your old raft, right? Oh, yeah. Well, let's... let's <laughs> and I have that down, by the way, just so you know, and right let me, here. And let me, say, <laughs> let me say that in the last five days, mm-hmm. um, there's been a battle between battle is the wrong word but there's been a pecking order if you will um between my three kids and ned ned's two kids as to who's going to use the raft today yeah and that that raft does have a name it is named ralph (laughs) The, the ralph is the name of the raft and ned hates that it has a name that was an amazing um you know, he, he really, and every time anybody asks to use it, they say Ralph. And every time it grates on Ned's nerves, which I enjoy. And remind me again, because I was, I was there for it and I, and I pushed it like I usually, you know, I love in those scenarios to do, but was, did you just call it Ralph and there was an aversion to the name and then it stuck or? Well, you remember my dog, uh, Blue, who's a St. Bernard poodle mix, beautiful dog. Yeah. Awesome creature, great personality. Um, his original name when we got him was Ralph. And I loved it. I loved the name Ralph for the dog because it was perfect for the dog. But the kids wanted to name him Blue. So what are you going to do? Sure. Um, and so I had to repurpose the name Ralph. And at the same time, we got your your Ralph. <laughs> and... Uh, and I said, well, let's just name it Ralph. And, and, and I told you and I told a couple of our friends and, uh, and then they started to call it Ralph and it drove Ned batshit crazy, yeah. which just made me smile more. Well, and, and it, it was amazing because his, when he realized that his only hope was reverse psychology, it was too late. It was way too late. You know what I mean? Like he he tried it and I just at that point I wanted to look at him and say, You're you're too late. <laughs> it's not gonna work. Because when he would use the reverse psychology, he was basically 
um, biting his own lip. Right. And he was just making it worse. Absolutely. Um, so the, the point, the, I guess the point being that all the kids want to use the raft and they, they have, it's a matter of first dibs, right? If you wake up in the morning and say, I want to use the raft, then it's, it's yours. And we inform each other. Uh, but the, but I guess the underlying point is they all love going down the river. Yeah. And at some point they're going to all going to be like, well, might as well fish a little bit and, and, and re-engage in the beauty of fishing on the river. Yeah. And I, I, I can, I mean, I came out of the gates way too hot. You know what I mean? (laughs) With, with my son, you know what I mean? Like trying with Kevin Cook fish. And it's a very interesting thing because, you know, there's no playbook. You don't know what you're doing. First kid. And it, you know, basically crying, fighting a lemon shark, being like, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> at, at four or five might not have been the best idea, but what is interesting is, is I made a point and I'll never forget it where I was like, you have to stop now. And I, he was probably, he was probably six. And I was like, this is it. We will not fish until it comes from his end because I, I made a mistake here. And just recently, it's, it came around. And what was interesting is it came around and I set it up for success. It was quick. There was, and there's an argument there, right? I was, when I was young, I was not set up for success. I was just, I had to watch my grandfather build a rod. Then I had to sit on the dock while they went fishing and practice casting. So there's an argument for both sides, but it was successful. And then I said to him, just so you know, any time that I don't have a scheduling conflict and you ask to, do, to go, I will take you. And three days later, going to bed, reading a book, he said, Dad, I want to fish tomorrow. And I said, wow, all right, let's do it. On the way home from that trip, not as successful, but still a successful trip, had fun. And um, some Rice Krispie treats, you know, incentives. But he said, you want to know something? And I said, I would love to. And he said, part of the reason I wanted to fish today was to test what you were telling me. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you said I could go fishing whenever I want. And I said, yeah, obviously, if the schedule allows. And um, and he said, well, that's part of the reason we wanted to go today. (laughs) Which is, is fascinating to me. The, the thing about fishing, I think, and, and, and the kids wanting to use the raft is they want to use the raft, not because it's just, you know, fun with their friends. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to go down the river. Right. Yeah. Um, and the thing about fishing for me is you're more attuned to mm. the whole environment. Absolutely. You're, you're more clued in. Yeah. And I, and I think that as far as my kids are concerned that, you know, there's a progression. You're growing, you're learning to row down the river. You're, you're getting pretty proficient at it. Well, what else is there? Well, let's figure out what else is going on in the river. Yeah. And I, it, hopefully that'll, ha- that'll be a, a progression that does happen for yeah. my kids. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll play some, we'll place a bet later. I, I think at some point it will all come around. 
Um, but on to, uh, I know you're a big reader. Yep. And um, more than I should be. What What have you any any suggest? Read anything good recently? Um, I knew you were going to ask that, uh, or I didn't know actually know that you were going to ask that, but I figured that was the case. Um, Mike, I'm sorry. It's been a bunch of schlock lately. <laughs> I could tell you a story though. Yeah. I'd love a story. I was down in the Bahamas a couple, three months ago <laughs> and there was this beautiful house we were staying in. I was, the, I was the, I was invited to come down, cruise around on friend's boat. We did some bone fishing and the bone fishing was, you know, eh. mm. but it, it was okay. Uh, but we're in this beautiful house and, uh, as I apologize, I'm not talking about a good book other than yeah, the book I'm going to read. This, this can but, go any, any I'm going to tell, but, uh, yeah, there's, it, it's this beautiful house with this big deck that goes out from those windows, or these doors that open way up. And, and on the side of this house was this bookcase that was as big a bookcase as you'll see anywhere in any house. Floor to ceiling, uh, at least 30 feet long. Hmm. And, and books everywhere. And I mean, so many cool books, beautiful picture books, great, great books that you don't know. And I'm flipping through the books. It's We've been there for three or four days and I'm just flipping through all the books. And then I thought to myself, I wonder, I mean, we're in the Bahamas and I wonder if they have Islands in the Stream by Hemingway. I'm looking through the bookcase and I find Islands in the Stream. And I love Islands in the Stream. It was, I it haven't was, read it. Oh, you have to read it. Okay, there we go. It was published posthumously, hmm. right? So it's got three parts to it, but it's not knit together. Mm -hmm. But it's really, really good. Uh, and uh, I found Islands in the Stream. So I'm like, this is great. So I go out onto the big cantilevered deck that goes out there and I, and it's just before dinner time and I go out there and I start reading and I've read it twice already. Mm -hmm. I like it so much. Uh, and i read the first three, four pages and they get to Thomas Hudson, uh, because the first five pages are about, you know, the place. Mm -hmm. And then, and then he introduces the, the, Thomas Hudson, the, uh, the main character in the book. And I, I'm like, oh, this is so good. I'm going to read some more. And I lean back thinking there's a back <laughs> to the, to the bench on the deck mm -hmm. and there's no back. And I fall. <laughs> eight I'm not laughing. I, I mean, no, no, you should yeah. laugh. Okay. I fall back mm. without even bracing myself eight feet to the deck below and I'm unconscious for four or five minutes. Wow. Completely fucked up. And, um, and, yeah. and, and the people in the house, I, I, nobody else knew I was, I was blacked out. 
Did anyone see you fall? Nobody saw me fall. But in the aftermath, the book was on the deck above and I was down below because I was like, oh, because I kind of saw it happening. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and and uh, and I was messed up. Did you go, I mean, was it a full three, I mean, full flip back flip? No, it was more like just a Just a fall. Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> right. Just a, and, wow. And it was bad. I on mean, to was, what? Onto a wooden deck. Oh. But it was really, really bad because I was out for four or five minutes and they found me and I was purple and obviously got the wind knocked out of me. And, you know, uh, I, I'm, I, I went to try to stand up. I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I couldn't stand up, it, you know, and I still feel the effects three months later. Really? Um, and they flew me. I'll tell the story as abbreviated as I can. They took me, uh, we were on Harbor Island, just on the north side of Eleuthera. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, this is as brief as I can possibly tell it. So I'm messed up. I'm physically un- incapable stand of standing up. So they get me up and they put me in, in my bed. And then these three big Bahamian dudes come in. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to go to the clinic. And they're like, you're going to the clinic. And so they take me out and up these stairs in a a stretcher. And we go to the clinic. And I found out later that the buddy of mine went to the clinic and they had to jumpstart the ambulance. (laughs) Okay. So this is what we're dealing with. And, uh, they had to jumpstart the ambulance. They get me in the ambulance and then they, they get me to the clinic and I got you know, stitches in my ear and, you know, concussion and all this shit. Um, this is about a book, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and then they, then they put a, a wrist uh, thing on me that said fall risk. Said Ned. It said, it said <laughs> fall, it said fall risk. Okay, obviously that was before, but not now. Yeah. And then they put me in back in the ambulance. They put me in a boat. It's windy as shit. They put me in the boat over to the to the uh, airport, uh, where the boat's just bobbing up and down. And then they put me in another hold, hold ambulance. On a second, hold on a second. You went from Eleuthera to to the to the Spanish Wells, I guess. Uh huh. Um, where Nassau. the airport is. NASA. No, no, no. Boat to the airport. Okay. Then airport, get on a $7,500 private uh, plane to Nassau. And it's windy as shit on the plane. And I'm getting jostled all over the place. And uh, then we get off the plane on Nassau. And... They take me to the hospital where the ho- the there's roundabouts all over Nassau, mm. and I'm getting jostled around in the in the <clears throat> ambulance there, and then we get to the emergency room, and before they let me into the emergency room, they put this big old freaking neck brace on my neck to make sure <laughs> that I don't, my neck is okay. I was okay. hoping you were going to say it was a dog cone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and after you know being jostled around on a boat and a plane and an ambulance, how much time are we talking? Here? Well, a couple hours. Okay. And uh, 
and we get we get to the hospital to the emergency room and they put this big old neck brace on me and then they wheel me in about you know 10 yards into the emergency room take the neck brace off (laughs) (laughs) and and, and i get the mris and i get the the x-rays and i don't have any broken bones i don't have a broken neck i don't have bleeding on my brain um but i'm i'm hurt i'm hurt and my wife and i spend the the night in some shitbox hotel in, in the bahamas and after our $7500 flight from that you were responsible for totally then we got $100 tickets back to eleuthera really <laughs> yeah the next morning oh wow um and and i mean yeah i didn't have a whole lot of fun the rest of the it wasn't <laughs> i mean i could go i could go sort of bathe in the in the ocean i wasn't playing any tennis that's for sure neck brace on uh no i just a lot of painkillers but uh (laughs) but i I couldn't fit i couldn't cast yeah it hurt too much to cast but i did walk out and and try to spot fish for a couple of friends and um but that's my story about reading Did you pick up uh, Islands in the Stream again or? No, I did not. No, that was put to bed. That was over. Oh, gotcha. But please read it. It's yeah. really good. No, I'm going to. Um, and I, I, and you know, not to, not, I'm not going to go back down the COVID rabbit hole, but that, um, that is a result for sure. Like I, I am having a hard time reading, which is, um, which is too bad, but that's going to fade away and that that's going to be. You know, it seems easier, as you put it, just to put Netflix on right now. It's way easier. Um, And I gave you a heads up on this, but um, the most interesting, one of the most interesting person, persons you've ever met. Other than than you? (laughs) You are. You're pretty interesting. The places you've been, the things you've seen. Well, I have seen some cool stuff. It's but. pretty, but um, you know, you you gave me a heads up on this, and and I I thought about it for the five minutes that I was driving from uh, the grocery store down to here. But uh, you know, it all comes back to to my days of uh, being a uh, executive director, giving out grants for conservation work uh land conservation work i had the opportunity to go to a a board meeting of the vise foundation and and the vise foundation is is um the foundation of my boss's father and his name is hanjorg vise and uh he's swiss made uh made his fortune if you will i don't know if that's an appropriate way to say it but in in medical implant Mm -hmm. and he's you know he's he's a big conservationist does amazing things around the world Mm -hmm. but i went to a meeting in on cape cod of their foundation got invited because I was the executive director of his daughter's foundation. Mm -hmm. And that meeting, it was a two-day deal. 
Um, and it was, it was really, it was super educational for me, but really they had, uh, for two days, Doug Tompkins talk and try to convince them to, to put a bunch of money into land conservation in South America. Mm -hmm. And Doug Tompkins, who was, he started the North Face mm -hmm. and has conserved millions of acres in uh, South America, listening to him talk and, and talking to him about his overall um, vision of land conservation in an area of the world that uh, is ripe for development and is ripe for for conserving the great best places down there. Mm -hmm. That was the most interesting guy I ever met. That's pretty cool. Is he? Was that was the North Face founded in um, Aspen? I don't know where the. We'll get the North we'll get Cameron Face was but Doug, founded. He started North Face, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Esprit, too. A, a bunch of, of um, uh, apparel companies. Oh, it looks like it started in San Francisco. But it, it, was, a sh it was a short uh, meeting, of course. Mm -hmm. A couple of days. Did you get to hang out with them at all? Got to hang out with them, have dinner. Nice. You know, talk with them. Um, what was really, what was really interesting about it was he was, he was not going, he was not going to, uh, compromise. Hmm. He was, he was saying, I'm buying up this land. It's cheap and I'm not letting people in it, hmm. which is antithetical to my view, right? Let yeah. people in and let people, and, and, and I didn't necessarily agree with that, but he was very strict in his view of what land conservation meant. Hmm. Um, and he was going to hold to his guns, right? And are He's, we talking like Patagonia type? Yeah, we're talking, yeah. we're talking all over South America. Okay. You know, millions and millions of acres. Uh, beautiful. Just there you go. Huge, Palena. huge places. Palena province of Chile. Right. Um, and, and, his view was was very very strict like this is for the the earth this is for the nature this is for animals this isn't for people hmm. um yeah, which you don't, you which don't hear about that too often we had we had a back and forth on that yeah uh i was like hey let people go see it maybe they'll help you protect more it's like no no yeah. it's it's for the nature period that's that's so interesting. You have so, to have a very deep connection. And sadly, I think he passed away um, five years ago or so. Uh, but I think his wife uh, continues his legacy. What a uh, what a cool experience! It was. It was a great experience. That's um, yeah. That's an interesting idea. I mean, I, that's that's deep, right? I mean. Land con conservation to the extent that no one right is allowed in. This isn't the this isn't the Roosevelt uh, Yellowstone National Park land conservation. This yeah. is this is land conservation excluding people. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, listen, man, I know how busy you are. 
And uh, this was a lot of fun. We'll do it again one day. And I, uh, I appreciate the time. And if you do, you know, come across any books that uh, <laughs> you recommend. Let me. Uh, well, I, mean, I got islands in the stream. Start with islands in the stream. Okay. And well. you, you too. I want to. Uh, I want to hear something other than. Uh, uh, I don't know. Mind altering <laughs> drugs, books. Well, you'll dig that book. Your mind on plants. It. It. He picks three. Okay. He. He picks caffeine. I, I won't judge before I read it. Yeah. He picks caffeine, poppies, and mescaline. Okay. And it's a historical base. The caffeine part will blow your mind. I'm, I'm a big caffeine consumer. So it was actually very, the fact that it's, you know, everything he, Michael Pollan, he, he, it's pretty historical. So there's not much, you know, he's not telling you to. Oddly enough with, with how I addictive personality I have, uh, caffeine's not my thing. You, you don't drink coffee? Not much. Yeah. Some. It takes 12 hours to leave your body. Kind of crazy. Um, but, but also, right. I mean, I thought, I thought England was, um, I thought England snubbed their nose at coffee, but it turns out coffee houses were pretty much originated in England. There's a lot there you would dig. Cool. Yeah. And, and the question, you know, who has control because now, right. Caffeine is everywhere in the world. So to the Started listeners, in one spot to the listeners, your mind on plants. I'm going to read it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate you stopping by. And um, thank you. You're welcome. Love you. you Talk too, to you man. later. Talk to you soon. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Permit to Think. My hope is this podcast offers meaningful conversations and stories from the fringe of societal norms. Be sure to subscribe and support this podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're using. For more information, head on over to the website, permittothink.com, and also forward this show to anyone in your network who you feel might dig it. I am out. Out.